0: Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the pediatric podcast aimed at pediatric trainees or anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, one of the pediatric trainees here in Wales and one of the presenters for Dragon Bites. We've got an extra special episode for you this week. We were lucky enough a few weeks ago to be joined by the new president of the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health, Camilla Kingdon. She took some time out of her really busy schedule to speak to two of our Dragonbytes presenters. Stacey Harris and Hannah Davis about a whole range of issues that affect paediatric trainees. So we're going to play you the first half of the interview this week and then we'll have the second half out for you next week. That's enough from me, let's get started.
1: So, uh, hi everybody, um, and welcome to this uh, episode of Dragon Bites. So, I'm delighted to be joined by the president of the Royal College of Paediatric and Child Health, Camilla Kingdon. Um, I'm a little bit starstruck, (laughs) Uh, and and thank you so much for offering your time um, to speak to us, and we really appreciate it. And joining me today as well um, to Uh, to chat to Camilla is Hannah Davis who is the newly elected Wales trainee rep so (laughs) so also a little bit starstruck although I know Hannah quite well (laughs) we've trained together for a long time um so yeah thank you so um so Hannah's told me that she's done a little bit of research about you Camilla (laughs) um so um I would just I'll I'll hand over to her to um introduce you a little bit more if that's okay
2: (laughs) so just a little bit of research so, I was having a look back. So, born in South Africa, trained as a pediatrician in London, um, a very successful consultant neonatologist since 2000, uh, with special interests in neonatal nutrition, donor milk banks, which I know Stacey will be very interested in. Um, lots of work with medical education, undergraduate and postgraduates, uh, head of Lon- uh, London School of Pediatrics and Child Health for five years medical careers support uh medical Re- careers management masters in brighton 2013 you have been a very very busy <laughs> I'm to that cake now you're president of the <laughs> <I> mean, Wow. <laughs> well
3: um first of all it's fantastic to be be here this afternoon and um i actually um feel very lucky and um and i and and actually, with my careers hat on, I think luck actually plays a hugely important role in so many of our careers. And I um, so so genuinely, when you when when I hear you describe my career like that, I do think, wow, God, did I really do all of that? Haven't I been lucky? Because I think um, finding opportunities as they come along and being in the position to be able to say yes, why don't I have a go at that, or shall I try this? Um, makes for an incredibly rich career, and and I do feel I've been very blessed by having a very um, very varied and interesting career. But I think the thing that I've learned, and also from my reading, is that one has to develop the mindset. Um, and I think you know writers and 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 clever psychologists would call it a growth mindset. It's this idea that you are um, psychologically positioned to grab opportunities and not worry too much about whether you're going to be successful or not. Um, Because often it's the journey that one takes along the road whereby where you learn the most rather than whether ultimately you are successful or not. And that's kind kind of always been my mantra, that kind of nothing ventured, nothing gained kind of idea. You know, you don't know until you've tried. And it may be a flop, but it could be a, a great success. And so I... Um, I started my consultant career, I went to part time when I became a consultant, because um, that's when my first child was born. And so I, I've always had a part time consultant contract. And actually, I think that that gave me the opportunity to pick up these extra little jobs and roles and responsibilities. Whereas if I'd been full time, I'm not sure I would have. So I think actually, it's the secret weapon that, that I mean, I was going to say women have because of, of course, that's not the case because. There are now plenty of men who who train part-time and work part-time. But I do think that's the secret um, kind of win that you get out of working part-time because that was how I took on various roles and responsibilities, ended up doing this fantastic master's in medical careers, which just opened my mind to thinking very differently about um, careers, about what what we mean by success Um, about the role of luck or planned happenstance, which is the kind of probably the more technically correct term. Um, It's just been, uh, you know, I've just been so, so um, fortunate to have all those opportunities. And, um, and I've been able to uh, meet lots of interesting people and do some really fabulously interesting jobs. So yeah, it's been, I feel very blessed.
2: Yeah, amazing. And just hearing that makes me feel so inspired because now I've just gone part time. I'm like, oh, I'm excited about my little journey ahead. (laughs) And just as well, like the amount of um, proportion of our members who are going less than full time and paediatrics being at the forefront of offering less than full time positions. I mean, it's just exciting to see what comes out of that, isn't it?
3: I think there's huge opportunity. And I think actually it's going to become a strong selling point for our specialty because I think. I think we would recognize that pediatrics is a a tough clinical, front-facing clinical specialty. And, you know, for some people, that's a bit off-putting. But I think the fact that we've so openly embraced flexible working, um, actually, as we move forward, is going to be increasingly attractive to people. Because my perception is that generationally, people's priorities are are changing. And the sort of idea of work-life balance, which used to people used to slightly sort of sniff and then talk about you know, kind of work-life balance kind of thing as if it was a, a bit of a kind of soft touch, actually is now a core value for so many people. Um, and so often working part-time you know, even if you just drop to 80 percent, just having that 20 percent of time in the week to go off and do other things can genuinely be the, the recipe for success, prevent burnout, just keep that bit of balance going. And so I think the fact that we've trailblazed and, and shown that you can make it work, that rotors can work very, very successfully, people can train very successfully um, part time, um, I think is going to be you know, to our advantage long term.
1: Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with um, all of the things that you said, because um, I also have been um, less than full time for a few years now since my children were born. And yeah, the difference in me as a person and a paediatrician is um, quite staggering, really. It just gives you that space to kind of consider and and think about the bigger picture. And I think, you know, it, it, yeah, it's just really empowering. And um, I think, yeah, it's kind of, the, I, I agree, the secret to success and a um, uh, a happy um you know thriving um person yeah,
2: yeah. it's amazing i've seen stacy develop i met her when i was a little baby actually because i was <laughs> an st1 in neonates and she came back and i've just seen her grown and she has literally gone from strength to strength and it's so nice to see somebody i know wow. you asked this honestly and like her well <laughs> yeah, her well-being work as well like literally as a junior looking up to somebody like she's been amazing. So. <laughs>
3: fantastic. Little love club brilliant
1: role model <laughs> so we, we might as well uh, talk about well-being now because it kind of moves on from there doesn't mm. it um so uh so we've talked a little bit about um uh work-life balance and uh how, you know what a key part being less than full-time can play in that um and um i think hannah had a question for you based around your you know how you um uh, maintain your well-being.
2: Yeah. So obviously you're a very busy professional woman, and I know you've got an interest in combating burnout and disillusionment with medicine. So I was just interested in what te- techniques you use personally, and uh, if there's any techniques you'd recommend to the members.
3: So I think I think this is a, this is actually a really genuinely really important question um, because if you think about it, most. Most of your generation are going to work until your late sixties, um, and so it really is about playing the long game um, and and setting in place habits and patterns of working that mean that you can see out a career over you know a very long um, time. My observation, and there's a little bit of literature to um, bear you know uh, uh, bear witness to this, is that if you can explicitly embark on what we what the correct term is portfolio career, a portfolio career, I think you're much more likely to successfully thrive in, you know, in a medical career all the way through to um, retirement. So what I mean by that, and, and it's going to be different for everybody, is that all of us have come into paediatrics to do the clinical medicine, you know, work with children, work with families, and that's our kind of core business. But I, th- I think each of us needs something else professionally, so that we're not doing frontline clinical paediatrics 100% of our working lives, because it's 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 simply too punishing, um, and I think that's increasingly so as medicine becomes more complex, as our relationships with families becomes more more complicated, you know, societies demands on the medical profession are changing you know that the whole landscape is different so to sustain that at a hundred percent from the age of 25 when you graduate to let's say 67 i think there are very few people who can do that successfully yeah. um, and so my sense is that you have to think about some other s- strand to your um so, uh something else in your career. So for me, it's been around medical education and medical careers. For other people, it might be around an interest in global child health, you know, and an ongoing interest in, in the kind of international child health world. Other people will get into medical leadership. You know, that, but there, there are actually now so many other things you could be doing um, that allow you then to balance the clinical with something else. And I think that is, I genuinely do think that's the, the secret. Um, that's not to say you're not going to work really really hard but there's something about having um, a couple of different things on the go that's quite invigorating and and kind of rejuvenating I certainly find you know you do two or three days of full-on clinical work and it's you just it's, it's exhausting and you get to the end and you kind of feel feel you know really chuffed but ready to then move on to do something else and so I find you know my weeks I do clinical work um, as a neonatologist, you know, we do weeks on and weeks off, but I tend to do clinical work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I have a clinic on a Thursday morning. The rest of Thursday and Friday are are always something else. And then there's some weeks when I don't do any clinical work. And that balance and the variety uh, is is actually, I think, quite therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not that one isn't rushing around and very, very busy but you're you're using different bits of your brain, you're using different skills, you're dealing with different groups of people. um, And I I think that's fantastic. And we're so fortunate in medicine that we actually genuinely can do this. You know, I think there are a lot of professions where you either do the job or you don't do the job. But for us, um, you can pick up these other roles and responsibilities. So I think in a professional sense, that's the secret. And then I think in terms of work-life balance, you know, for each of us, we're going to have to, you know, you have to think about how you, you know, what makes you tick. And so I think having some self-awareness is absolutely key. You know, knowing how hard you can push yourself and being conscious that, there's, you know, there's a line that you can't move over. Um, Knowing, for instance, how much sleep you need. There's no point pretending about these things. And and each of us is different, you know, that there apparently are people who can survive on four hours sleep a night but actually that isn't true of most of us most of us need six seven hours of sleep and you know if you've got a young family that mm-hmm. can be a real challenge I can see Stacey sort of rolling her eyes but I you need know more, much more than that yeah, I yeah, I, think yeah, I need nine hours sleep don't get anywhere near yeah. yeah. no, no, no. um, so, self-awareness sorry
2: I said lions are a thing of the past mm. <laughs> oh, yes. know what they are.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. No, no. Um, although I have to say, when your children, my children, I I can't get them out of bed. I mean, one o'clock and I'm feeling chuffed if I'm seeing them when they're at home. <laughs> I dare not phone them at university before one o'clock because you know, you'll get such a kind of bad mood on the response. But um, so I think, yes, yeah, so understand, you know, So I really enjoy um, running and so I'll go for a run. I'm really into listening to podcasts at the moment. A, it makes me run further, but B, it kind of really switches me off. So I've been listening to, I don't know, I'm uh-huh. sure you know, uh, well, of course. But, I mean, <laughs> Brené Brown's got the most fantastic series, Dare to Lead, and she's got another series at the moment. And every week she's putting on new episodes. So that's my favorite thing on a Sunday is a Brené Brown um, podcast while I run. It's a kind of treat. Um, mm. You know, each of us, it's different. Um, uh, and, and of course, at different stages of your life, you know, one can do some things more or less than others, depending on families and so on. So I think explicitly thinking about this is actually really important. And I'm surprised how many people sort of bumble through life, not really thinking too hard about this, whereas I think it's fundamental to thriving. You don't want to just sort of grit your teeth and survive. It's got to be no. about thriving. Um yeah. And I'm I'm taken aback how you know I keep meeting people who haven't actually given it enough attention, and I think I think that's a mistake.
2: Yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Sorry, I'm just yeah. It just is so wonderful to hear you just saying all of the things that I've been thinking over the last few years. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I can't I can't uh, agree more. Really. Um, so I suppose this ties in with. Um, how can we make paediatric training allow and be flexible to be able to do like, you know, you say a portfolio, um, career, how can, how can we, how can we get that into our training more?
3: So I think this has been, you know, David Evans and, um, uh, who sadly is just finishing his five years as vice president, although he's going to be take, you know, um, Catherine Chadwick will be taking over and will be fantastic. But David and I have talked a lot about this over the, over the years, this, for us as paediatricians, the idea of creating flexible career pathways seems just so self-evident and so, such, so obviously what we need to do. But, you know, we do work within the constraints of Health Education England's training pathways. And, you know, I don't want to sit here and criticise HEE. They've got an incredibly difficult task. Um, they've got it. They're responsible for you know all of medical training, plus, you know, the other, you know, other Um, healthcare professionals training as well. But I think we do need to increasingly just keep talking about the importance of flexibility. So for some people, um, that will will be about training part-time. That will give them enough opportunities within their lives to do other things and, and to thrive. For other people, it's going to be about stepping out of training for a period of time and going off and just doing something else. So it's about enabling people to to do that as well. And I I, I really hope that our, um, what we call Progress Plus, which is going to be the new way in which we um, are going to be training, we're waiting for the GMC to sign off our plan, um, which will change pediatrics into a seven-year training program that consists of four years of core pediatrics, followed by three years of um, specialty paediatrics, which will consist of our 17 grid specialties and then our biggest specialty, which is general paediatrics. Um, we have written into our plan various points when it would be an, a natural place to take go out of program. So it might be that you go out a program to do research, but actually you might just simply want to pause your training um, and just go off and do a, you know, a, a local, you know, a trust grade post in a, a, to, a specialist specialty area that particularly interests you, for instance. Or it might be that you, At a, have met many trainees who are at a phase in their lives when they've got two or three small children at home, they may have a partner who's got a really busy career, they simply want um, an eight till four, Monday to Friday type job. And, you know, we. the reality is most training posts just don't offer that. And it's, it's broken my heart over the years to see trainees have to resign to go and do that kind of work. Um, when in fact, they're fantastic pediatricians. And a few years down the line, when their children are a little bit older, they're, they're almost certainly going to be ready to want to come back into training. And under the previous, in, you know, under our current way of working, they would have to resign and then reapply. So hopefully this idea of out of program pause would facilitate that kind of career choice as well. So I think the more we can be, op- the more we can have sort of have a suite of options that allow people to think creatively about their training. Um, the better. I mean, we've got a curriculum, so it's, this is not about compromising or downgrading our training or anything like that. We've got a curriculum; everyone has to cover the curriculum, but quite how they do it, I'm really op- hopeful that we will be able to introduce much more flexibility. Um, uh, and 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 therefore increasing that we you know we we don't lose great trainees, which sadly we have done over the years because it's just been too difficult to stay in a rigid training program. Yeah, I don't know that answers that rig- question.
2: Yeah, I've known some brilliant trainees who uh, we've lost to general practice. And I know that they'll still pro- probably contribute amazingly to child health in general practice. But like you said, it's just sad to see those colleagues lost just because of the work-life balance element of the job at the moment. So that's exciting times ahead.
3: <laughs> well, we've got to make it work. And I think that's going to be key. And we need people to role model. You know, we'll. it'll be interesting to learn and, and see trainees try out, you know, different ideas and there'll be some bumps along the way. I mean, these changes never easy. Um, and particularly when we'll be having to try and sort of persuade HEE to be brave about this. Um, but I do think it's the future of our profession. I I know that sounds a bit dramatic, but, but actually if we can't get this right, I think people will pick other, you know, there's so many amazing careers out there now. Um, I think we'll lose brilliant people if we can't move with the times and be, uh, you know a bit more kind of open-minded and flexible in our approaches
2: I think that's brilliant you have obviously done a lot of work as well with recruitment etc and amazing news that the RCPCH membership despite COVID last year went up by something like two to three percent which is amazing yes. um, and obviously I wanted to get it in the podcast as well for our medical student listeners that the college is now free for medical students within the UK which is an amazing Definitely. thing. So, uh, Hopefully that, you know, we can get as many people interested in paediatrics involved with the RCPCH as possible. But I was also just wondering with recruitment things um, and the problems that we have in our remote and rural communities, I was just wondering if there's any advice from yourself or the college that you can think to help with promoting recruitment in these remote and rural areas.
3: So, I, I you know, I think um, remote and rural um Healthcare is, is a real challenge. I mean, to be to be honest, it's a challenge around the globe, isn't it? Um, but if we're thinking about the UK, it, it certainly is, and we and we know that recruitment is incredibly difficult. Um, and we also know that where there are rotor gaps, patient safety can be compromised. So actually, this is a really serious issue. Um, so, we, so we do need to, to think creatively and 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 work hard to try um, and address it. I think it's about thinking about the wider workforce, so not being too sort of uni-professional in our approach. Um, if, we look at, if we look at remote and rural areas, you, you, you will often find that there are um, people who are thrilled to live in that area, but they are um, perhaps not young doctors. Um, there may be a, a group of people, particularly thinking about advanced clinical practice in terms of nurses, where they're living in the area, they're a stable population, but we're actually, if we develop their skills, particularly with some of these kind of um, advanced clinical practice skills, one could be making very important um, additions to the healthcare workforce in some of these these areas. So I'm not saying that's the whole solution, but I do think we need to think beyond medicine to how, how we can support and, and help um, uh, these parts of the, the, the country. Um, I, I also think more long-term... Uh, you know we have a, a bit of a problem in in as much as the, the sorts of people we generally recruit into medicine tend to come from the big cities um, yeah. or they um, come to medical school in a big city they get kind of you know organized by living there and, and organized and then of course you know the thought of them being able to recruit get them to move back perhaps to a remote area is, is really challenging. So if we thought differently about how we recruited people, if we brought, and this is really where widening participation is, is so important. I mean, it's one of the many reasons why widening participation is so important. I think we need to be thinking differently about the kinds of people we recruit into medicine so that yeah. we um, go out of our ways to tap into groups um, who currently we wouldn't be con- who wouldn't they wouldn't be considering medicine and we wouldn't be particularly trying very hard to entice them into medicine because I think if if we don't start thinking differently about who comes into healthcare we aren't going to be able to solve these problems so I think mm. it needs a really radical think um, but I don't think there are any quick early solution fixes as it were um, but. It's a really important one, because if you think about some of our hospitals that are struggling, they hit the headlines with, you know, a sudden surge in perinatal deaths, for instance, and then you look at the map, you often realise that they're in very remote parts of the country, and they have almost certainly perennially struggled to recruit and, you know, will have unfilled consultant posts, rotor gaps on their junior rotors, um, shortages of children trained nurses etc so it's a it's a significant problem and we're going to have to kind of start thinking really creatively about it
2: yeah because that creates extra burnout then for other staff already oh, yeah that's awful it awful exactly yeah. the energy, doesn't um, it?
1: so yeah it really ties into that whole bigger picture thing that i how um it's not just we're all internet interconnected so you know even things like transport links um things like that um and yes. i suppose it really resonated with me um as um someone who came from a high school from a um the first person in my uh in my family to go to university and uh yeah i'm very much in the minority um of of uh, medics and <laughs> coming from uh, actually a very rural place um and then i've come back to uh, my hometown really um so yeah that resonated with me of uh you know of really trying to um include those people and um thinking about medicine a bit more broadly because you know of course we have to um be intelligent and um you know and be able to do the work but i've in the more and more i realized that um being a doctor is very much about being a good human being and having that human yeah. interaction as well as um having you know and and having those you know having exams and grades as the as the thing that kind of um stops you or uh, enables you to go to university you know we need to have some sort of selection but perhaps it yeah it can be it can be different just thinking about it differently yeah
2: yes yes and I think um the more I go through medicine and the more I come into contact with families is actually just being a good listener you actually get a hundred percent not most of the time anyway I find my diagnosis just from listening to the families so communication skills are really key and I think you're right Stace just selecting people off you know how many A stars they've had etc yes that's an amazing accomplishment but you have to be an all-rounder and having those amazing communication skills are just as important as the educational side of it
3: Mm. yeah yeah
1: God, we're like having the meaning
2: of life conversation. This is getting really
0: deep. And that was the first half of our interview with Camilla Kingdon. I just wanted to say thank you to her for taking so much time out of her busy schedule to speak with us. Join us again next week for the continuation of this interview with Camilla, Stacey and Hannah. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites.